Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and happy holidays. Thank you for joining us. Lots of news today. The president has announced the he's authorized the second round of trade aid payments. We'll be talking more about that and getting details. And we have lots of other items and issues that we want to touch on as well. Joining us today to start off the program, though, is DTN Ag reporter Todd Needley. Todd has started a very interesting and informative series on the opioid crisis in this country, and he joins us now to talk about it. Todd, thanks for being with us. Tell us a little bit about this series and uh, what you are learning, who you're talking to about this uh, very serious issue. Yeah, Mike, well, thank you so much for having me on. Um, You know, this series, we started out looking at just the broader scope of of the opioids crisis. Um, And one of the things that struck us uh, as we got out and did the reporting was that, um, you know, while this is both an urban and a rural problem, um, in the past decade or so, it's become more of a rural problem than than people had ever expected, I think. Um, You know, we've had, from 1999 to 2016, there were over 350,000 people in the country that died of overdose. Um, And what's made this a real rural problem is that the rate of deaths has uh, surpassed that of urban areas in rural areas. And so then you add on to that that, you know, we have... 92% 92% of the treatment centers in this country are in urban areas. And so we've got a very large growing um, problem in rural America, and it's growing fast, and there's not a lot of treatment available in a lot of areas. And so we got out, we talked to farmers, we talked to doctors and experts. Um, you know, we consulted a lot of federal data and other and other private organizations looking, looking at what they think if we were to boil down this series, um, it's uh, it's rural America that needs the help the most and, and isn't getting it as much as it needs it. Well, that's that's an important point. I mean, this there are two big issues mm-hmm. here. One, the crisis itself, the, the addiction to opioids, and then two, the right. lack of treatment available to people with this problem, uh, especially in rural America, as you said. it We know that the rural health care issue mm-hmm. in general is a serious one, and then you add this crisis on top of it, and it really makes it a serious right. uh, problem. And I thought the other interesting point there to make, I wanted to emphasize this, this didn't happen overnight, Todd. This has been a growing, right. building uh, issue for some time now. Absolutely. You know, and Mike, as, as you know, the agriculture industry itself, it's, it's, it's very high risk, um, you know, there's a lot of a lot of health issues in terms of back injuries, farm, um, and then you add to that that when farmers and other people in rural America have access to painkillers, um, you know, we have a high rate of, of prescription going out there. I mean, the number of prescriptions have just been going up and up and up, um, and there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of accountability for, uh, you know, the people that prescribe and how much goes out the door. Um, you know, in some areas of the country, it's worse than others. You know, West Virginia is one of the worst in terms of, um, you know, the number of people that have access in rural areas. Um, you know, so it, I think as you look at this, um, you know, at some point we're going to have to have a major, major investment in, in health care centers. Um, and this comes at a time where we see, you know, health clinics 
in rural America closing down. You know, they're they're not at a high rate, but we do see um, every month there's there's a there's a clinic somewhere that closes down, and so. Um, I think that, you know, what we've seen on the federal level is a good start. There's been major legislation that was passed this, this year uh, that addresses a lot of these issues. Um, but as we found out along the way, I think a lot of the solutions are going to come at the local level. Um, you know, organizations getting involved, uh, you know, filling the not only the treatment gap, but, but providing the counseling and other things that, that a lot of these people are going to need. We're talking with DTN reporter Todd Neely, who's doing a series on the opioid crisis. Todd, there's also a, a reluctance by people to seek help or maybe to even admit there's a need uh, for help. Right. And uh, that that's a huge issue. And then the, the feeling that some have, well, if these are prescribed, then th- there's nothing wrong here. And then all of a sudden you wind up uh, with someone who may be – you know, addicted to a, a, a number of these yeah. painkillers, and, and it's a problem that kind of perhaps creeps up on some people. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think uh, what we've seen is that, that the people who use them oftentimes, you know, they start out with an injury, uh, they get a prescription, and they really just keep taking it and keep taking it. But over time, uh, the body is going to demand more of it to get any kind of relief. And so what ends up happening is the number the amount of the drug that's being taken goes up. And a lot of studies have shown that it doesn't necessarily deal with the problem. It just becomes an addiction, a dependence on that drug. Um, And so I I think one of the things that people, especially in rural America, you know, because we talk about lack of treatment, um, I think a lot of steps need to be taken in local communities uh, basically to get to get more get the word out you know and talk more about it I mean we're seeing that in some areas as it is now but I like you touched on a stigma issue um, a lot of people not only a lot of them don't realize that they have a problem but then when they realize that they do they don't know where to go they, they're embarrassed to talk to someone about it and you know we're talking about all segments of society you know it's not just the poor or the rich um, you know it's kids in high school who had football injuries you know it's farmers uh, you know, who've, who've made a good living on the farm. You know, I mean, there's a lot of, a wide variety, a variety of, of people who are addicted. And I think what we wanted to do with this series, we, we wanted to get a lot of those stories and we wanted to try to start helping people to be willing to talk about it. And I think that's kind of the first step. Yeah, it really is across the board. And you touched upon something. There are young people right now, perhaps on the first stages of of becoming addicted yeah. and having this problem. So that shows right now, if something's not done, it's just going to continue. Yeah, and especially the young people, because, you know, uh, 90% of the young kids, teenagers who, uh, who become addicted, um, they first got that medication or that painkiller from a friend's medicine cabinet or even at home. And so one of the things that we talk about in the series, you know, there's some steps that people can take. Uh, you know, if you've got a if you've got an old painkiller laying around that you're no longer using, uh, you know, get rid of it. Um, I mean, if you do have medications, you know, it's not a bad idea not only to change the location of where you save those, where you put those away, but even in some instances, you know, lock it away. Um, you know, that's that's the one thing. I know a lot of schools in some of these heavy hit states like West Virginia, um, they they're getting into the elementary level of of education and talking to these kids and. Um, you know, trying to trying to get the word out is you know is best appropriate at that point. But um, it definitely is a young people problem as well. 
And um, I think there's a lot people can do in their own homes to kind of uh, raise awareness and, and make things more safe. Todd, where can people find your series on the opioid crisis? Uh, yeah, it's running every day this week on dpnpf.com. Uh, the title of the series is called Pandora's Pill Bottle. Um, and as you read the series, you'll understand why we came up with that title. But, you know, it's kind of a, it's a crisis that, that's come out and it's going to be hard to put back in. And that's kind of, um, you know, that's what I hope we provide in the series, some, some insight and, you know, some steps people can take to turn the corner. Well, you, this is great work you're doing to call attention to this and, and inform people, and we encourage people to check out your series at DTN. Thank you very much, Todd. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you, Mike. DTN reporter Todd Neely joining us here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. I can't believe he found them. He seems sorry. We very clearly told him not to look up there. I'm honestly impressed that he was able to do it. Right? What did he balance on that big chair? Or... Yeah, I mean, I guess he'll just know what his gifts are this year. I really thought we had hidden them well. If they can find their presence, they can find a gun. 911, what is your emergency? Every day, eight kids and teens are unintentionally killed or injured by loaded and unlocked guns. Learn how to make your home safer at nfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and N Family Fire. Sometimes life is wonderful, and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private healthcare is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready, and health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is $35,000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612. Reason number 12 why you should own a Thermospas hot tub? They require no attachment to your home's plumbing. Thanks to the Thermospas unique built-in thermofiltration system that filters the water an incredible 144 times a day, you simply fill it with a garden hose and your water stays crystal clear with very little maintenance. Call to receive a free DVD and brochure and find out how you can own a Thermospas hot tub for only a few dollars a day. Right now, they're offering 0% APR financing with approved credit and a $1,000 savings coupon, including free delivery, free chemicals, and a cash discount. And with bottles starting at $4,995, there will never be a better time to own a Thermospas hot tub. So call now and ask about this limited time offer. Call Thermospas today at 800-991-5852 for your free DVD and brochure. That's 800-991-5852. Thermos Boss, hot tubs designed to improve your life. 
Call 800-991-5852 today to take advantage of 0% APR financing. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. All right, some uh, couple news notes. Uh, the president expected to sign the farm bill on Thursday. We'll keep a close watch on that. And then, of course, the announcement the administration has authorized the second round of trade aid payments, an additional $4.9 billion in direct aid to producers, same commodities as the first round, same payment rates. And already we've heard uh, some of the same concerns and criticisms raised by some of the uh, commodity groups about those. Uh, Corn especially not happy. Some others not happy either. Soybeans, again, uh, getting the highest amount, and uh, they are welcoming that, certainly. And we'll be talking tomorrow with the CEO of the American Soybean Association about that. So um, I think overall, a relief that it's coming, but still the concerns for some that uh, it's uh, far short of the, uh, the harm that has been done, but we'll be talking a lot more about that uh, in the rest of this week. All right, let's talk now with Steve Nicholson, a grain and oil seeds analyst for Robo AgroFinance. Uh, Steve, thanks for joining us. Those two items, a farm bill getting passed and signed and another round of trade aid payments, uh, do the markets react to, th- to that news at all? Well, good morning, Mike. Um, thanks for having me. You know, I think a lot of that was already kind of baked in. Um, I would say the Farm Bill for sure was, you know, people thought, well, this is, you know, particularly after the Senate passed it and the House passed it last week, you know, that that's, you know, this is a done deal. I think there was not. When you look at the commodity title within the Farm Bill, uh, maybe with the exception of cotton, and we look at the basics of corn, wheat, and soybeans, not a lot of big changes there. Uh, Mostly what I would call refinements. And I think those were good refinements, so I think it won't have a big impact upon the market. You know, the the market facilitation program, I think, is what's officially called. Um, you know, it took a little while for that, and it was a little bit under the weather last week because the White House, all of a sudden, OMB said, no, we're not going to make any payments on the second tranche, and all of a sudden that gets turned around this week, and that's coming. So, I mean, I think that does... I don't know if it does much for the markets, but it does a little bit more for the farmer's psyche that, you know, he does have an, or she has an opportunity to pick up, you know, a few more dollars per bushel there that they maybe didn't, you know, they didn't get, the, you know, obviously didn't get the first time around, but they're going to get the full amount when you look at it. Because when we, when we had originally talked about this program, we knew there were going to be two tranches. We also knew the possibility that we come around the second time around and we may not get um, the full, in the case, we'll use soybeans as an example, you may not get the, the full buck 65 a bushel uh, because those were determined about, those, those numbers are determined by the USDA's model of what the trade, um, we'll call the trade wars, for lack of a better term, or the trade disruptions, what were the impact on the various commodities. And that's why soybeans was high because of China and corn was low because it didn't disrupt corn all that much because most of our corn goes to, you know, to allies and stuff like that. So I think it's, it's good psychologically. It does put a few more dollars back in, in the markets or in the producer's pocket. Uh, it'll have probably minimal impact upon the upon the markets today. Yeah, direct payments under the program will total $9.6 billion and more than $7.25 billion or 75% will be yep. going to soybean growers. All right, we're talking with Steve Nicholson with uh, Rabo AgriFinance. Steve, let's talk about uh, China. 
they've made yeah. some soybean purchases. That's good news. Uh, the the bad news is it's a small drop in the bucket, a fraction of what they had been buying. So do, do the markets look at this as a sign of things to come, a, a step in the right direction, or do they look at it and say, wow, that wasn't very much at all? Well, I think we've got a little bit of both. Um, you know, after the, we'll call it the dinner, um, the markets were, oh boy, here we go, we're going to get this, and I think the market was anticipating, you know, we've seen everything from 5 to 10 million metric tons of soybeans, and, and the market took off. And then we came, then we came back, and the, and the Chinese bought 1.2, I think, on that initial tranche, and I'm, maybe off of, you know, 100 million metric tons there, or 100,000 metric tons or something. But, and the market then promptly gave all that back, saying, oh, we're hor- horribly disappointed. So it was a little bit of, you know, buy the rumor, sell the facts sort of, uh, of a, event here. But I do think it's, you know, it, it's, it was psychologically more a, a boost to the market. But I think the reality is that, you know, the Chinese did what they said they would do, and they bought some so- U.S. soybeans. They bought a little bit more the next couple of days, and then we, it's kind of gone dark since then. So in their mind, I suspect that they thought, well, we fulfilled our promise to the president. We bought some U.S. agricultural commodities. Now, I hope that's not the end. And we can't build a marketing plan on hope, but I think one thing we can take away from this is that, you know, the market is going to react positive to any any trade news, uh, particularly as it relates to China, whether it's corn, soybeans, ethanol, you name it, pork. And it and we also and we've also learned that maybe the market gets a little disappointed by that. So I think that's where the opportunities lie for producers. If you see that pop because the market got excited because it's going to happen then there is, a, there is potentially a marketing opportunity you need to take advantage because you may not get that again. You know, this last, this last little episode in the last week or two is a good example of that. And so I think that's where we have to think about. You know, we're not talking about selling the farm, but, you know, why not chip away and say, you know, I think, I think uh, nearby soybean futures got up as high as that 950 area, 975 area, if I'm not mistaken. You know, that's, that was a lot better than, you know, sub, sub $9.00 you know, sell a little bit of next year's crop and get it on the books. And if that's the worst you sell next year, so be it. Um, and maybe hallelujah at the same time. But the fact is, take advantage of these market opportunities that the market gives you. I want to ask you for your outlook for 2019, knowing yep. that there's so much uncertainty out there. It's really yeah. hard, I would think, to do outlook because we don't know if there's going to be a, a trade agreement with China. Uh, there's so much yep. unknown there, the uncertainty. We don't know if uh, the U.S.-Canada-Mexico uh, yep. deal is going to pass or if the president pulls us out of NAFTA. I mean, there's these huge variables out there. And another one is we're, we still don't really know, do we, the extent of African swine fever in China, and then that's that impact it could have on on demand moving forward. No, I, you've you've listed all the variables very quickly. That's very difficult as an economist and try to put into a model and go, okay, here's all the variables. What does this do? And the model sort of looks at you, goes, ooh, no, I can't deal with that, and and that's kind of the end. The model sort of sits there and it implodes on you. It it does create lots of uncertainties, which and it kind of goes back to what we were just talking about. Those uncertainties create opportunities both good and bad. You know, bad because markets don't like uncertainties, and so they'll usually discount that. But if it gets one of those uncertainties checked off, or it gets a hope that there's an opportunity, you know, there that uncertainty might get checked off, then the market reacts. You know, I think there's no question in our mind, and when we did our model this summer, we did our, out, our baseline outlook this summer, we were looking for a, a fairly modest, we were looking for a fairly modest increase in, in 
in corn acres, half to a million acres. That's probably a little bit low looking at what we looking now what we know today. Our beans number was looking more like a five to six million acre decrease in bean acres. Now that number, you know, we've seen that number all over the place from three to people going eight million acres. So there's a wide range, and this, you know, I I'll say this is a as a, a longtime analyst and, and researchers, I think planted acres are one of the toughest things to predict, particularly for that March report. But the fact is, we're, I think we both, we all have the trend right that we're going to see less bean acres and more corn acres in, in, in 2019. But it's interesting talking to producers this, you know, this fall and this winter when they weren't in the combine, that, you know, the question is, are you going to change your, change your rotations? No. You know, we plant a lot of beans last year. We'll plant a few less beans this year, but we're still going to plant plant beans. You know, others who are not quite as heavy on soybeans will say, yeah, we'll probably plant, we'll keep our rotation in place. So it's one of those things that could be a surprise going forward, but I think it is pretty clear that we will see a lot less soybean acres in 19 than we saw this year. But you're right, Mike, there is so many uncertainties here, and, and farmers have to deal with that, and I think it goes back to what we've always talked about, understand those costs, understand where you can sell, and where, where is your margin opportunity. And if it's not in a crop, you know, it may not be in the crop that you've got set up, that you may have to make some quick adjustments this winter to be prepared for that. You know, on the one hand, you know, what you often <laughs> talk about, have a plan in place and follow that plan, yep. but it sounds like part of that plan, especially in this coming year, is you better be flexible enough to grab an opportunity if it appears. That's right. And, and that's exactly right. And that, you know, the production side is more difficult because it's an annual plan in the sense that you, you get one shot to plant a crop. But when you look at that pricing plan, you better be flexible and be willing to, you know, deal with what the market gives you. And, and it, one of the, one of our, you know, other preaching points, if you have, or coaching points, I should say, if I'm compliant here um, with compliance, is that, you know, we've talked about understand the cost of production, but also let's think about let's sell that crop before you plant it rather than to wait till the end and, okay, we, this is how much crop we harvested. And for some people, they're unfortunately still, you know, still got beans in the field. Um, you know, they haven't made, you know, may, may, maybe they may not have made a marking plan yet. But we need to get on top of it and get that marking plan in place now and be ready to execute against it, you know, when that opportunity is because the market may not give you many opportunities in this coming year. And, and particularly with beans when the fundamentals are so bearish. And so you see an opportunity like we saw this last week, that may be the opportunity you had that you, you may not get that again. Yeah, got a lot of old crop that hasn't been sold yet, and we're yeah. already talking about selling a crop that you haven't even planted yet. So, wow, challenging times. It's going to be a, yeah. a wild year, it looks like. Steve, as Absolutely. always, thanks for being with us. Happy holidays to you. Thank you. Same to you, Mike. Happy holidays to you and your family. Take care. Steve Nicholson, uh, Grain and Oil Seeds Analyst for Rabo AgriFinance, joining us here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Stay with us. Did you know you can listen to the latest podcast of Adams on Agriculture or hear the top news and weekend review from the American Ag Network on your Amazon Alexa? Play my flash briefing. Use the Alexa app to search for the podcast you want to play. Search for Adams on Agriculture to learn about the issues affecting agriculture each weekday. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Again. Or you can search for the American Ag Network. This is the American Ag Network Week in Review. I'm Sabrina Hill. Stay up to date on agriculture with the sound of your voice on your Amazon device. What does Meals on Wheels do? They deliver meals and smiles to homebound seniors. But Meals on Wheels does something else. They turn a volunteer's lunch break into a meaningful experience. 
as small and as simple as a relationship is between a volunteer and a client of Meals on Wheels, it's really so impactful. I never thought that five minutes could make so much difference in the lives of two people, but it has. Drop off a warm meal and get more than you expect. Volunteer at americaletsdolunch.org. That's americaletsdolunch.org. Brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Soybean futures trending higher on this Tuesday despite USDA's export inspections showing little in the way of large Chinese soybean purchases, possibly a sign the market is maintaining confidence regarding further Chinese buys. Buyers emerged to support January soybeans at the top of the week following Friday's losses. Bulls and bears battling around key support. 9, 10 and a quarter is the 10-day moving average, 20-day moving average at 897. An hour into the day, January beans at 909, up four and a quarter. In corn, the short-term trend said to be fairly neutral. Since December 3rd, we've been stuck between resistance at 387 and three quarters, gap support from 378 to 380 at 385 and three quarters on a Tuesday morning, up a penny and a half. For the wheat futures, taking back some of Monday's rally, Minneapolis Spring Wheat March down three and a half at 581 and three quarters. Kansas City March down a penny and a quarter at 520 and three quarters. Chicago Wheat March near unchanged, a fraction lower at 534 and a half. Livestock at the Merck cattle futures, early activity has been mixed. We are near unchanged. Live cattle December at 119.05, up two cents per hundredweight. Cattle buyers and sellers in the cash will likely want to wrap up business this week as soon as possible. Given the holiday schedule ahead, we'll see a new cattle on feed report from USDA this week. Feeder cattle, January near unchanged at 145.40. Lean hog futures trending 55 to 95 cents lower. Outside markets, some recovery on Wall Street after Monday losses, up 260 points. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture, presented by the American Ag Network. I'm Rusty Halverson. We paid less for our Craftmatic today than we did 20 years ago. If you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and free information on today's Craftmatic adjustable beds. And then decide when you see how little they cost. Rated number one by consumers nationwide on ConsumerAffairs.com. Craftmatic beds come in all mattress types, including cool gel memory foam for up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Enjoy temporary relief of low back pain, poor circulation, nighttime heart for a mild arthritis. You'll sleep better in a Craftmatic adjustable bed. So if you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and information. And then decide when you see how little they cost. Discover Craftmatic for less, up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Call 1-800-318-7903. That's 1-800-318-7903. 1-800-318-7903. Call now. information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. It's that time of year where we look back at the uh, the year we're wrapping up and uh, review the highlights and some of the challenges and issues. When it comes to agricultural trade and exports, what a year 2018 has been. Highs and lows. Let's talk about it with Tom Slate, President and CEO of the U.S. Grains Council. Tom, uh, it has been an eventful year, hasn't it? (laughs) 
Yeah, Mike, <laughs> thanks so much. Yeah, that's putting it mildly, but it's been a wild, wild ride. But, uh, you know, at the end of the year, I think we've made some progress here, so... Yeah, I think when we look back, it's almost the tale of uh, you know two years all in one. The first half of the year, then the second half of the year, uh, when we started getting into tariffs and trade disputes and things like that. I would say this, and I, I made the comment recently about the ag equipment sales numbers, and I would say that about our ag exports too. Even though so much of the news surrounding these things and the ag economy are negative, I think when you look at the numbers, in this case, uh, U.S. Uh, feed grains exports, uh, I would say considering the context and considering the year, the numbers are pretty impressive given all that uh, the markets have had to deal with. Well, and you're absolutely right, uh, Mike. You know, when you, and that's why we always have to remind ourselves here uh, every day at the council, you got don't lose sight of these numbers. I mean, uh, for you know, we, have, we like to look at things here at the council at U.S. Uh, grain in, in all forms, you know, feed grains in all forms, you know, exports of of feed grains in every imaginable way they go out of here in terms of meat, in terms of grain, in terms of ethanol, in terms of DDGs. And, you know, for this past marketing year, you know, we were up 6% over last year's record pace, uh, you know, 4.75 billion bushels, you know, or a third of U.S. production was exported, you know. So that, yeah, that's, that's the tremendous. You know, we set a record last year. We broke it this year by 6%. And if you look at the other, you know, categories, you know, ethanol it was was up, Ethanol exports are probably up 60% over the last two years uh, in terms of where we've been able to, to crack through here. Corn exports up, uh, you know, up to 2.4 2, uh, billion bushels just in raw corn. So, again, uh, that's, a, you know, about a 13% increase. All categories, um, DDGs were up. Uh, you know, we're, we're just having a great year volume-wise despite all of the troubles we had with, uh, with policy struggles. So this, I guess, is that glass half empty, half full. Uh, half empty, we would say, wow, if it was that good with all the troubles, what could it have been if uh, things had gone more smoothly with trade issues? Uh, half full is what we said. Even with all those troubles, we still had some impressive numbers. Yeah, you're right. Uh, you, know, you know, we've created some new marketing channels. Uh, I think the Mexico story is one to really look at carefully. Um, you know, early part of the year, we were having, you know, threats of withdrawal from NAFTA. But we ended up setting, uh, having nine months in a row where we had 100% market share, you know, for corn going into Mexico and, again, record sales. Um, I think, you know, the China dropped off. I think our numbers would have been better for China, particularly on sorghum, had we not had problems there. Um, but also, I think ethanol, they probably would have been better uh, if we had China as a big participant uh and, and buying at U.S. ethanol. So, yeah, there is mixed. You know, have to look at both sides, glass full, glass half empty. But, um, you know, we, we've, we've, we're in the process of, of cutting new marketing channels, uh, new, new uh, arrangements, new ways of trading. Uh, all of these are, uh, have started to develop uh, in 2018. I think you're going to see more development in 2019. Um, you know, we, we may, we'd like to see, you know, perhaps, you know, trying to come back into the mix uh, in 2019 with ethanol imports, with corn imports, uh, and sorghum imports. Um, that'd be great to see, and that would give us uh, some really strong momentum to build on our record year this year, because things will change again next year, as they always do. There's been a lot of speculation this year that what's the situation between the U.S. and China, that we may look back and say that was a watershed moment that changed the course of uh, business around the world and change the dynamic of things. And we may feel the effects of that 
good and bad, for many years to come. Do you think we'll look back at 2018 and say when it comes to feed grains exports, this was a year that uh, will mark and say, hey, yeah, for all of its problems, it also created the opportunities, uh, uh, gave us impetus to get the, some new markets opened or look at a new way of going about doing business? I think we'll say that, uh, you know, in, in, in different ways, Mike. I think, yes. Uh, for us, just, you know, we decided, you know, hey, we've got to focus on our markets that are strong and loyal, like Mexico, like Japan, like South Korea, like Taiwan, all which really performed very well. But we have to make sure we have a, continue to have a strong mix of market, uh, uh, a strong spectrum portfolio of markets, you know, including places in South Asia, including India, including Pakistan, Myanmar. We talked about this before, Southeast Asia, Vietnam, places like this where we have intensified you know, our efforts in those areas that are starting to bear fruit, intensifying the areas in the ex- ethanol export market development all around the world, which in 2018 really started to bear fruit, and 2017 for that matter, too. So, yes, we're, we're going to be operating in a different way in 2019. We're going to be intensifying even more so in some of these newer places. But, you know, hopefully, um, I think 2018 we're going to say maybe we're going to see uh, a major reset in the trade relationship between the U.S. and China. And, you know, certainly from our sector, we support that because every every crop that I represent, I've said this before, we, we're shut out of that market right now. So if we can reset this trade relationship and get it going in a positive direction, you know, maybe we could see some some really strong progress there, too. So, But, you know, I don't want to be too overly optimistic because we do have problems. There are huge problems there. And uh, we want to have some lasting change, not just, uh, you know, uh, temporary. We're talking with Tom Slate, President and CEO of the U.S. Grains Council. So, Tom, as we look at 2019, uh, the ongoing situation with China, of course, that's going to be key. But so, too, we'll be passing the U.S. MCA, the deal with Mexico and Canada. Yeah, yeah, that's going to be really key, and I think it's very, very important for farmers to get out there and talk to their representatives uh, that are going to be voting on this down the road. Um, we need this agreement passed. It's in, uh, there's going to be a lot of uh, back and forth and, and pros and cons. And, but for U.S. agriculture, this is a winner. Uh, we need to make sure that voice is heard because um, we, need, we need trade votes are always close, uh, and we need that support, and we need this agreement. Again, nine straight months of record uh, sales to Mexico with 100% market share. Canada, your number two ethanol export market. We have to protect those things. They're too important to farmers uh, uh, to, to, to not take action. And looking to 2019, perhaps, you know, if something gets worked out, a deal would get worked out with Japan, that could really be a boost. Yeah, Japan, we've, we've got some, some key things to, to work on, particularly access on meat. Uh, we're really interested in making sure we, we solidify the changes we've made in access uh, to ethanol that actually translate into actual sales uh, of U.S. ethanol to Japan. I think you're going to see uh, the first shipment of U.S. ethanol uh, going into Japan here uh, and, and sometime in the first quarter, uh, perhaps in 2019. So we, we, can, we can focus on that with these talks. We can focus on the meat access and, you know, again, do no harm to the really strong access we have there on, on commodity grain. And are, we, are we sitting, you think, on uh, the potential of a big ethanol and ethanol byproducts export year in 2019? Well, I sure hope so. Yeah, I, I, you know, if we can get another couple of markets to hit, and I mean, you know, keep the ones we've got, Brazil uh, and Canada, keep those going strong. Uh, keep India increasing uh, its imports. We're working on that really hard right now. 
Uh, maybe we can see some start to some regular shipments into Mexico in 2019. I'm getting uh, fairly optimistic about that. That's that's something we really want to see. I just mentioned the Japan thing that that you know we're going to start breaking through in there hopefully, and then continuing in sort of our our, our B markets like the Philippines. Continue to work with them, and it's still we have some really big potential markets out there, like Indonesia, which could be an 800 million gallon market uh, if we if we go about that and develop it correctly. Do you have to spend a lot of time rallying your troops? I, I would think it would be just extremely frustrating to to work in a, a market uh, in these countries around the world, build relationships, develop a market, make all that work and you know it looks like it's going to pay off and then something comes along like a trade dispute uh you know a political situation and i can see it almost wiped out or really set back uh, how frustrating is that for your people on the ground around the world yeah it, it's an interesting question mike i think it's yeah it, it, it definitely is challenging for them but this is why it's so important to have these deep long-standing relationships again the people that we're working with we've worked with for years and decades in many cases and you know we can we can sit down with them you know on a you know very regular basis and try to help give them perspective on what's going on uh, with U.S. trade policy. You know, give them some glimmers of light. We try to supply our overseas staff with uh, you know some realistic uh, you know outlook. But again, those relationships have not crumbled overnight. You know they're asking some very challenging questions in many places, and they say, well, "What the heck's going on?" But at the end of the day, that that long-standing relationship and the value we're bringing to them with that relationship about being a connection to U.S. agriculture, a bridge to U.S. agriculture, really, uh, it, that, that that bond is very solid. And, then, <laughs> yeah, we stretched it a few times this past year, um, but we're, we're continuing to reinforce those bonds right now. Yeah, there are the headlines that everyone sees and the news clips that everyone hears, but then there are the actual discussions that go on uh, face-to-face uh, that uh, that's where it really gets down to. Real quick then, uh, Tom, uh, this year with all of its problems, uh, there's more uh, you know good news than maybe we would uh, realize just by going off those headlines. Yeah, you've you got to look at the numbers and remind yourself that we're still a very competitive supplier of the world, and the world wants our grain. Very good. Tom, as always, thank you for being with us. Uh, You join us throughout the year to keep us updated on on these issues. And I always find it interesting because you are in touch with the customers around the world, and you give us a perspective of of what you are hearing from them and what they are concerned about and the questions they are asking, which is so important in that uh, business relationship that the the Grains Council does such a great job of uh, developing. Thank you for being with us, and uh, we'll talk often in the new year. Thanks, Tom. Yep, thank you, Mike, and happy holidays. Take care. Take care. Tom Slate, President and CEO of the U.S. Grains Council, joining us here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Stay with us. I'm here to tell you that your options for getting out of debt have never been better. How do I know? because I'm Howard Dvorkin, the founder of Consolidated Credit. For nearly two decades, we've helped over five million people just like you. And every time we help someone, they all say the same thing. Why didn't I call sooner? If you owe too much money on your credit cards and you feel that you'll never be able to pay it off, don't wait. Simply pick up the phone and find out what our Freedom Quest program can do for you. Reducing your payments by up to 50% is just the beginning, but you have to take the first step. When credit card debt is the problem, we're the solution. Call Consolidated Credit now 
As soon as you call, the hard part is over. Call Consolidated Credit now. 1-800-489-7204. 1-800-489-7204. That's 1-800-489-7204. 5701 Sunrise Boulevard, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Licensed debt management service provider. Vermont and New York Banking Departments. Maryland 49, Oregon DM80031. All right, guys. We're ready for our four-season sunroom. And Daddy's going to get a rec room with refreshments. Oh, no. We'll be sleeping under the stars. Mom... What about the one with, you know, the fun? Nice try, little bro. It's a gym. My gym. Hey, Grandma's getting her Four Seasons garden room. Weather tight and still like being outdoors. Maybe a living room. Oh, no, wait. A family hub. Yeah. No matter what the budget, the season, or the climate, Four Seasons Sunrooms let you and your family enjoy the outdoors inside. Call now to hear more about these great offers from the premier manufacturer of sunrooms since 1975. To find out more, call toll-free 800-988-4477. That's 800-988-4477. Call 800-988-4477 today. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Sometimes life is wonderful, and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private healthcare is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready, and health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is $35,000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612. Over the holiday season, you know, there are so many pleas out there for assistance from one organization or another. All of them do good work. We're asking you not to forget us. Every child deserves a little Christmas. Every year since 1947, the U.S. Marine Corps Reserve Toys for Tots program has been out there collecting toys for millions of deserving children children who otherwise would go without at this most joyous time of year. The Toys for Tots website is the starting point to find one of our campaign sites. It's toysfortots.org. That's really simple. 
toysfortots.org, all one word, toysfortots.org. There you'll be able to find out how to donate directly to a local campaign or register for assistance, toysfortots.org. All you need to remember, toysfortots.org, delivering hope since 1947. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. We continue to get reaction to the new farm bill. American Farmland Trust, while acknowledging it's not a perfect bill, has come out in support of the bill. President and CEO of American Farmland Trust, John Piotti, joins us now. John, thanks for being with us. What do you like about the bill? Well, there's some great stuff in there. First, it's just wonderful that our farmers have some certainty now about about the future. Um, I think a lot of us who worked on this farm bill didn't think that uh, it was necessarily a innovative or or a surprising bill in any way, but um, it did do some basic things that we needed. And on the conservation title, which is where American Farmland Trust has focused our energies most of our history, we're very pleased. Uh, the overall funding level is, is stable, and the program that we care about the most, and Mike, you and I have talked about this before, the loss of farmland that's occurring across our country, there is a federal program that directly addresses that, the Agricultural Conservation Easement Program, or ASEP. And uh, ASEP is one of the exciting bright spots in this farm bill. There's another $200 million a year um, that is devoted on top of the baseline that had existed. So we're excited about that. It's a great thing for farmland protection. It's a great thing for farmers who are, who are thinking about uh, protecting their land, maybe passing it on to the next generation. Um, that, I think, is the one area that we are most excited about. Yeah, when you look at uh, the overall issue of losing farmland in this country, you think this bill is a big step towards addressing that then? No, I think it's a necessary small step. <laughs> um, we're pleased with the amount of money, and it is significant compared to other movements in the farm bill. But by, uh, by our numbers, by our estimate, it's, it's, it's only going to affect the loss of farmland in a small way. Um, we estimate that eight out of a hundred acres that would have been lost. Um, 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 oh, let me rephrase that: <laughs> that only eight out of a hundred acres that would have been lost will be protected by this bill. So it's 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 eight percent or so of our need. And as you know, Mike, there are so many farmers out there who want to participate in the ASAP program. It's a voluntary program. Nobody forces the farmer to put. Um, their land in easement, but many farmers want to. And the number of farmers who wish to do it well, well exceeds the amount of funding that's available. I think last year it was something like 7% of the applicants were funded. And there would be more applicants if people thought there was more funding, if they thought the odds were greater. So this is a step in the right direction, but it's a small step. And to be honest, uh, what we really need is a 21st century farmland protection um, program that responds to these, this great need. It, 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 we've talked about before, Mike, we're losing one and a half million acres of farmland a year, 31 million acres in the last 20 years. That's the size of Iowa in farmland lost in the last 
20 years in our country. It's an irreplaceable resource, and we need to do more. John, is there anything in there that will help transitioning uh, from one generation to the next in agriculture? Yes. um, The federal government has had a good but relatively small program um, called the uh, um, uh, Farmer, uh, New uh, new Farmer, New and Beginning Farmer Program. I'm I'm tongue-tied today. My apologies. It's a good program. Um, It has never been a well-established program. It hadn't met the baseline level. With this new farm bill, this now becomes um, standard um, uh, program of the of the USDA, and that is great news. And that is, is as you know, that's the beginning of establishing a program. And then in the future, you can have policy debates around how to make it better, how to support it with more funding, but you don't have to have a debate about whether or not it is worthy of existing as a program. With this farm bill, that decision has been made, and the challenge in the future is to uh, make sure that that program has the resources it needs. Now, this is the other area where we have such great need in this country. We have young people who want to farm. Um, They have huge barriers to entry. Um, The cost is often huge. Um, Sometimes there's a need for support services. Um, uh, This program can help. Some of the work that American Farmland Trust does on land access issues across the country can help. Um, it's, it's huge, the, the need that's out there. We estimate that in the neighborhood of, of 380 million acres of farmland will change hands in the next 10 to 15 years due simply to the age of the farmland owner. Uh, it's a demographic issue, um, and there hasn't been anything like it in the history of American agriculture. We just have this um, most of the land is owned by fairly old people, and that's that's going to create some huge disruptions if we don't have some good services in place to help recruit and train new and beginning farmers and ranchers. All right, John, thanks for your perspective. As you said, uh, you see the Farm Bill as a step in the right direction, just not as big a step as you would have liked to have seen. But uh, thanks for your perspective on it. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Always great to be on the show. Take care. John Piotti, President, CEO of American Farmland Trust. All right. Uh, We hope tomorrow to get more details on the second round of trade assistance. Uh, We're also going to get the reaction, both those happy with it, soybeans, and uh, some hear from some of the other groups not so happy about it. All that coming up on tomorrow's program. Hope you'll join us right here on AOA. Adams on agriculture.